Good morning. In an earthly view of life, that is a life which focuses on earthly concerns, the primary focus of decisions, efforts, and thoughts is on making life comfortable. The, at the outset, an earthly view of life treats, as, uh, treats life as if we are going to live on this earth forever. And all plans are designed, decisions are taken, efforts are made to make our life on this earth as much comfortable as possible. The best job, the best house, the best couch, the best experiences, the best thrills, we need to have it all. <clears throat> In an earthly worldview, the primary focus of life is to make a name for ourselves, do things so that we will be known, make every effort of ours count, leave no area for regret, don't miss any opportunity, so that you can say that, I've lived it. In a life which is focused on, on earthly existence, the primary focus is on pleasures of life. Make life as much pleasurable as, as possible. Have fun. Make sure that there is happiness every single day. Make sure that you make everyone else around you happy. In an earthly worldview of life, the primary focus is on preservance of life. Anything that hurts, keep it away. You think about the, the big businesses of insurance and retirals. Massive, because people are working hard today to secure their future, secure, so that they will have a life which is comfortable, which is proud. Where the day is spent on keeping away things that can harm us. Well, it's not wrong. But that's the primary focus of a life lived in with an earthly worldview. In an earthly worldview, the primary focus is on the control of life. How I can control things so that I don't get, so that I can be happy, so that I can be, uh, I, I will not get into trouble. How much control I can exert on my circumstances, how much control I can exert on my future, on my present. <clears throat> the making of plans to settle on earth as if Life on earth is forever, and death is nowhere on the horizon. Control of life, making plans. In an earthly worldview of life, the primary focus of efforts is to, the, is the, is to exalt ourselves and make fame in this life. It's about gathering 
a following or possessions, hoarding, keeping things in store for that eventful day, Now, if our worldview is that, is that we live on this earth forever, then we want everything to be normal. An earthly worldview, focus, the primary focus of an earthly worldview is to sustain normalcy in life, avoid the spikes. The focus is on the body and the soul is ignored. And in this worldview, Dear brothers and sisters, suffering, afflictions, and pain is a spanner in the wheel. Suffering, affliction is something that we need to avoid. It's going to spoil my fun. It's a spoiler. It's an evil which we don't want. We want to avoid it at any cost because it's hard. Disappointments, hard. Keep it away. Keep it away. Do everything possible to keep it away. It's looked at as a weakness. A spoiler of sorts. An earthly worldview is a worldview basically which is all about self-comfort by being self-reliant. Contrary to this worldview is a godly worldview. Or more particularly, a gospel worldview. In a gospel worldview, the primary premise is that life on this earth is temporary. And that our permanent heavenly dwelling is a heavenly dwelling. That this body that we are living is one day going to go to the earth. In a gospel worldview... Life is not about hoarding, but life is about giving. Life is not about the pleasures of here and now, but it is about the treasures in heaven. Life is not about this, this earthly flesh and bone, but it is about the, the heavenly body. Life is not about our glory, but it is about God's glory. Life is not about my plans, my security, my comfort, my control. But it is about God's plans, God's security, God's glory, God's sovereignty over our lives. <clears throat> In a gospel worldview... Life is not about fleshly lusts and satisfying them, but it is about God's passion. In such a worldview, it's not about preserving life, listen carefully, it is about strategizing and using your effort, your thoughts, on how to spend your life for God's glory. These are the two worldviews which are in conflict as we come to the book of 2 Corinthians. And in a gospel worldview, 
suffering is not a spanner in the wheel, but it is the crucible on which life is lived to the fullest. Afflictions are not seen as evil, but afflictions are seen as a means to put down what Christ died for and to live for Him. Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they have a problem with Him and their idea of Him has suddenly diminished. Paul spent a long time in Corinth. We read about that in Acts chapter 18 and 19. But now that Paul has has gone away, there are some super apostles, as Paul calls them in this book, who have come to the church and now they are telling and instructing them and telling them, you believe in that guy? That guy is weak. He's suffering. He's being beaten. That guy over there, uh, he's taking money from all the churches. That guy? Uh, that guy who goes hungry, who is suffering, who is being afflicted, definitely he's not a true apostle of God because he's suffering. That's what they are being bombarded with. And the Corinthians are also now, now thinking that, hey, yeah, that guy is suffering. Look at these guys. These guys are, are pretty, pretty awesome guys. They speak so well. They're not suffering. They're they're in high positions. They are the true apostles. Paul is not a true apostle. So that's the the crux over here. The two worldviews. Where does suffering fit in? And Paul's labor in this letter is to instruct the Corinthians... To have a heavenly, godly, gospel-centric worldview of life in which suffering is not a roadblock but is an accelerator. In which afflictions are not a full stop but a comma. And these are the two worldviews in in conflict as we come to to this letter. Paul is now defending his apostleship. Paul is defending it. And he's saying, you guys think that because of suffering you're doubting my calling of God, the calling of God upon my life, and if you're doubting me, you're doubting my message. But let me tell you, it is this very suffering that is confirming the call of God in my life and is attesting to the message of the gospel which I have preached to you. That's his argument. Now we may not be be called um, to the specific sufferings and afflictions and the shipwreck and, and the beatings and the whippings and and the, the, the imprisonment of Paul, because he had a very definite calling towards that. 
which, which we clearly see in Acts chapter 9, as Luke records Paul's encounter with, with Jesus. And that in that story, when Jesus says, but the Lord said to him, to, to, to go, for he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was called to such a life and God used his life as an instrument. But by looking at the arguments of Paul, which he is writing to this to the Corinthians, correcting their understanding, we can derive principles of how we should look at suffering and endure it. So in the text that we have today, Paul is showing them the gospel, his gospel-centric view of his suffering. He shows them that rather than his suffering being a cause of doubt in his authenticity, his suffering is proof of his authenticity as the one who bears faithfully the name of Christ. Let's look at, look at the text. Paul starts off the, the, the letter with his customary greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And he's writing this to the church in, that is there at Corinth. He starts off with his customary introduction where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is pretty much common across his letters. But after this, there is a change. Usually, Paul gets into thanking God for the faith of the church. I thank God for the steadfastness that you are showing, the love that you are showing, and how your labor in the gospel is a witness to other churches. And he thanks God for that. But he does something very different because he wants to get at, at the crux of the issue immediately. And as we look at Paul giving praise unto God, we notice multiple things. And we will look at them one by one. He starts off by saying, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's praising God. Now Paul's argument, remember he's arguing that he is a true apostle because of his suffering. So Paul's argument is that Firstly, his suffering brings out praise unto God. His suffering brings God glory. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, compassion. He addresses God with specific attributes that God is a God of compassion. God is a God whose love is steadfast. That God is a God who sympathizes with His people. He has compassion. 
the God, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Notice that he clearly shows <clears throat> that the relationship of him and God is that of father and child. And the God of all comfort, the God who exhorts, the God who encourages, the God who tells his children, press on. And then he qualifies it. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, we, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul is blessing God. He is praising God for being the God of comfort who comforts Paul in his affliction. Now Paul is going through intense affliction. The later chapters of, of 2 Corinthians will show explicitly and practically how he is going through various afflictions for the sake of the gospel. But Paul is praising God because he is the God who comforts him in all affliction. He is praising God because he is on God's mission. And his comfort comes not from his achievements, comes not from the praise of people. His comfort comes from God. In his affliction and in his suffering, he is confident and he is praising God because he is the God of compassion who comforts people. God is not a God who is standing aloof when his people are being afflicted, when his people are suffering. God is not an impersonal God who is having fun. Serves you right. God is not a God who is standing and watching passively. When his people are afflicted, God provides comfort. Comfort. Now it's necessary for us to qualify what is comfort. Comfort is not suddenly putting five cushions around you so that the suffering becomes less. Comfort is not removal of the suffering. Well, that is an earthly worldview. Remove suffering. Live life to the fullest. But in God's worldview, in a gospel-centric worldview, comfort is not about the absence of affliction and suffering. But it is the presence of God with you in that affliction and suffering. The word for comfort over here is not sitting with a person and saying, it's okay, it's okay, tomorrow will be better. It's okay, it's only for a period of time. It's okay, don't, don't, don't worry, don't worry. It will become all right. That is the job of painkillers. The comfort over here is the comfort that while the comfort is from God, 
the suffering is also from him the comfort the word for comfort over here is exhort encourage encourage perseverance so when you read it with that view blessed be god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercy who father who is so compassionate and the god of all comfort the god of all encouragement and exhortation who comforts that is encourages us in our in all affliction our comfort comes from the promises of god our comfort comes from the word of god from the presence of god in the midst of affliction so paul's argument over here is that my suffering results in praise unto god because he comforts me in my affliction he presses me to go on verse 5 paul's argument over here is that his suffering brings out opportunity to receive comfort through christ look at verse 5 with me for as we share abundantly in christ suffering so through christ we share abundantly in comfort too now look at what paul is doing paul is saying that the afflictions that he is going through the suffering that he is going through is sharing in christ's suffering the corinthians are thinking that hey if paul is a true apostle he should not be suffering but now he's saying that hey you know what because of my suffering god is comforting me and i'm glorifying god and my suffering is an opportunity to share in christ's suffering because what are we preaching paul says i'm preaching christ crucified what are we preaching we are preaching a suffering servant what are we preaching we are preaching death that brought life what are we preaching we are preaching separation that brought reconciliation we are preaching that after he had died after he had suffered and and he had died then he was glorified philippians so paul is paul is instructing them that that we share abundantly abundantly in the sufferings of christ and god god does not leave us there so that through christ the one who said even to the ends of the earth i will be with you i am with you to the ends of the earth the god who said i am your shepherd even through the valleys my rod and my staff they comfort you is the god who says the eyes of the lord are upon those who fear him to preserve their soul from death psalm 36 through christ we receive comfort what is the comfort that paul is receiving through christ the promise of eternity through christ what has christ done for paul 
brought him from death to life. And Paul says, through Christ now, we are comforted. We are comforted. That yes, the afflictions we are, we are going, we are just sharing in Christ's sufferings. And the comfort that we receive through Christ is the hope that while these Romans, while these Jews, and while these, while these, the, these oppressors might kill my body, I have the hope of resurrection. So Paul's argument over here is that his suffering brings out the opportunity to receive comfort through Christ. Paul's argument over here is also in the next two verses that his suffering brings out the building of the church on the true gospel. On the true gospel. He has already said it in verse 4 that we receive comfort so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted. The comfort of the gospel that says life is about spending it, not guarding it. The gospel which says lay down your life for your friend. Not get them, figure out how can they lay down their life for you. Verse 6, look, at, look with me, brothers and sisters. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Look closely with me at these verses. Paul says that he is going through intense afflictions and pain. And that is so that they might be comforted. When, when Paul is afflicted, who reaps the benefit of his steadfastness? Of his perseverance in preaching the gospel, in writing these letters, in going from place to place, it is the church. They receive comfort if he is afflicted. And when he receives comfort, the hope of the gospel, it is again to their comfort. As he goes on preaching, the truth of the gospel. So Paul says, the afflictions that are in my life, they inspire perseverance in you. Because this is a life which is founded on the true gospel. <clears throat> Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Look, look at Paul. They are telling him that 
We don't want, you know, we doubt you because you are suffering. And Paul is now kind of bringing them along and saying, guys, I'm suffering. It is an evidence of the gospel. You are also suffering. You also come along with me. You are also with me. And you will receive the same comfort that we have received from God, which is the hope of the gospel to persevere through the suffering. Paul is also arguing that his suffering brings on reliance on God rather than his strength for deliverance. Verses 8 onwards. Follow with me in your Bibles. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's talking about a particular event or a sequence of events that have happened. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. A situation which was so bad, so choking, that Paul says we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. It was something that Paul, although being a man of suffering for a very long time, had not seen. What it is, we don't know. But there's something that happened in Asia that is maybe in Ephesus. Maybe the riot of Acts 19. But it was something so bad that the apostles, uh, the Paul and his group, despaired of life itself. An extreme circumstance of extreme agony, extreme pain. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. It's talking about a particular, this particular experience where there was end of the road kinds. There was nothing else to look forward to. Like the sentence of death pronounced. An earthly worldview will immediately think of, how do we escape, man? I want to see light at the end of the tunnel. I want to change these circumstances. Let's make a pact with somebody, bribe few people or do something and kind of move on with life. Get back to normalcy. Look at a gospel-centered worldview. A Christ-centered look at this. But... That was to make, that is this entire horrid, horrible circumstance, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's argument is that the afflictions and suffering that he is going, that he is going through are went through, that he went through, were designed to make him rely on God and not on himself. Now particularly look at what aspect of God. To rely on God who doesn't make the suffering stop. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. God who has the power to change your circumstances. No, God 
who raises the dead. Paul's argument over here is that my suffering is causing me to rely on God, which is the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? Adam and Eve in the garden relied on themselves rather than on God and hence the fall. Jesus relied completely on the Father. When Jesus was tempted, he relied on, on God. When Jesus is in, in that garden, in intense agony, the sentence of death was on him. Not, not Pilate's sentence of death. God's sentence of death, his father's sentence of death was on him in that garden. Yet he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that the gospel? Where God has changed our hearts to turn away from our wisdom, ideas, schemes, ideas of comfort, ideas of life, ideas of fame, name, ideas of security, ideas of preservance, and rely completely on Him. On Him. And Paul says, Suffering is that crucible, is that frying pan, is hot, and on that you put it, and all these layers start peeling off. What is needed remains. And Paul says, his argument over here is, suffering, afflictions, are making me who God wants me to be. The God who raises the dead. Hope. Hope even in that point that even if I die, man, even if I die, God is going to raise me up. That much reliance on God. Complete reliance on God. Ultimately, Paul's argument is that his suffering proved that he is preaching the true gospel and he is the true apostle because ultimately he is relying on the Comfort, which is the surety of resurrection. The surety of resurrection. The first thing that we look at from Paul's view of his suffering and how it glorifies God brings out the truth of the gospel. The first thing we learn from it is to be encouraged in our suffering. Be encouraged this morning in your suffering. You may not be suffering like Paul. Neither are you called to suffer like Paul. You may not be afflicted like Paul. Neither are you called to be afflicted like Paul. But to each one who is chosen by God, to each one who is loved by God, to each one whom God has redeemed from depravity and rebellion, God has given a share of suffering. 
to make you not rely on yourself but on God who ultimately raises the dead. What I'm not saying is that God will not change your circumstance. God has the power to do it and if it is in His will, He will do it. But the idea is not change of circumstance but how much you rely on Him whether He does it or not. Because ultimately, what has He promised? He has not promised that my headache will go tomorrow. He has not promised that, you know what, five days of affliction, uncertainty, pain and difficulty and then fine, done. What He has promised is, even though your body wastes away, your soul remains. That's my headache. I've sealed you. So be encouraged in your suffering. Be encouraged when you are afflicted. That is Paul's confidence. That is his hope. That is why James can tell us, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you are afflicted. It's suffering of various kinds. Because it brings out the genuineness of your faith. This morning we read from Romans 5 that suffering produces character. Character produces what? Hope. That hope nobody can take away. That hope nobody can take away. When we have an earthly view of life that li my life should be the best now <clears throat> that I need to have all the happiness, all the joys. When I look at Facebook and LinkedIn and here and there, oh, everyone is, I also want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. My life is complete only if I have this, I, I, I remove this, if, if this thing happens to me and that thing happens to me in the way that I want it to happen to me and all of that, you know, we are very earth-centric. <laughs> The gospel calls us to live, to store up for ourselves treasures, not on earth but in heaven. To live faithfully, to live with God consciousness, to live for the Lord. Our reliance in our suffering should be on the character of God. Think about when you pray. Suffering is real. Afflictions are real. There are things which just don't make sense. Why me? But in times of those, in times like those, where is your hope? Is your hope that the problem will be solved, life will go on. Or is your hope and prayer on the character of God who comforts you, exhorts you, encourages you to go on so that the genuineness of your faith is brought out 
that those sins which are hindering those misconceptions those wrong ideas of life which are which are just just eating you up are just stripped away it's an act of love by the way god can pretty well leave you in your illusions of happiness illusions of of what you think is best for you he can just leave you over there but whom he loves he disciplines he brings you to a place where you despair of life itself so that in your weakness his strength is shown be encouraged this morning that the suffering that you are going through is producing in you christ likeness be encouraged this morning that the comfort that you are receiving from god who raises the dead the god of all comfort the father of mercies who is with you the comfort that you are receiving through christ that my body my desires might waste away for one day i will be with the lord be encouraged many of us we live our lives to avoid every suffering suffering we look at it as evil don't do that if our life is is filled with earthly centric things our fears will be based on earthly centric things we will fear not having something we will fear not possessing something we will fear losing something we will fear not being spoken of in a way that we like fears will grip us what makes paul so bold these things are temporary man temporary 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 i am heading there i am heading there christ redeemed me for himself for a life of eternity with him with god why should i set my mind on things over here this body they want to destroy it destroyed don't be complacent or passive don't try to live life in an equilibrium here's the truth when you are living in a world which is just anti holiness which is anti god anti gospel your very breathing will cause affliction if you live out the true gospel don't be complacent don't be passive don't try to maintain equilibrium 
Yeah, be wise. But don't make the focus of your life is, you know what, I want to avoid any conflict. I want to avoid any problem, even if it pertains to my faith. What faith is that? Don't be neutral. No affliction comes to the person who blends in. What did Jesus say? If you are not for me, you are against me. It's clear. Be encouraged this morning. That God, the God who brings afflictions and suffering into your life for the gospel to be clarified in your life is the God who also comforts you. Be encouraged. But Paul also tells us the mechanism of how this happens. How does this happen? How does, how does this comfort come to us in the midst of affliction? How? How does it come? It doesn't magically happen. That brings us to verse 11. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What is the mechanism of God's comfort coming to those who are afflicted? It is through prayer. Prayer not of the person who is afflicted alone, but prayer of others who are, who are praying for this person. There is power in prayer. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. But also, be gospel-centric in your prayers. Paul, in his, in his intense, intense agony, has this hope if you look at verse 10, he said, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. His hope on the character, the nature of God is very strong. And he says, God delivered us from that sentence of death for His purpose. He delivered us and we have hope that He will deliver us again. He doesn't boast in that hope of his. He comes to the very guys who are doubting him because of his suffering and says, pray that I will suffer well. Cheeky. He has completely turned it around. The guys who are saying, Paul, hey, you're suffering. You're not a true apostle. He says, I've got more suffering to do. But you know what? How is God going to bring that suffering and bring more gospel-centeredness in, in me and, and my ministry? It is through your prayer. So pray for me. The very thing that they were accusing him of, now Paul says, pray for me. For that very thing. And now he tells, this, this, this also shows us that we ought to be prayerful. We don't underestimate the power of, of prayer. God works through the means of prayer of His saints for His saints. 
Don't be lazy in prayer. God comforts and delivers those who are in affliction through your prayers. There are many in this church who are suffering, who are afflicted. Everyone is suffering and afflicted. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. That is the means by which God works in our affliction. Seek prayer for gospel reasons, godly reasons. Paul is not ashamed over here saying, you guys doubted me? How can you pray for me? No, he is seeking prayer so that he will endure. He is saying, pray for me. If you think that asking for prayer so that you will endure your suffering and afflictions well, for God's deliverance is a sign of your weakness, then you are not being gospel-centered. You are denying God's means and saying that, you know what, if I share my prayer request of how I am struggling, they will look down upon me. Or they will think, oh, they will come to know that I am struggling in this area. Or they will come to know that, you know, this is the problem that I am facing. I am weak in this area. I am this in this area. How, how, how self-centered is that? Rather than that being an opportunity for thanksgiving, rather than that being an opportunity of blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us. Seek prayer. But again, the focus is something that could be corrected. Many times our prayer requests are about, I'm going through this difficulty, pray that it stops. There's nothing wrong in that prayer. But if that's the only thing we're concerned about, which worldview are we in? If that's the only thing that we are concerned about, my life is abnormal today because of sickness, because of uh, pain, because of disease, because of work, because of this or that. It's abnormal today. So pray that it becomes normal. So that I can just get through my 24 hours. Is that the ultimate goal? Rather pray like Paul. Or seek prayer. Lord, pray for me that I may be able to depend less on myself, more on God. Pray that through this suffering I will understand that this earth is not my home. This dream of mine is not actually a dream. It's not worth getting. My goal to be disease-free is never going to happen. That the treasures that I'm trying to build over here, rust and moth and thieves will break in and steal and it's all going to decay. So pray that through this, the orientation of my heart is towards the heavenly dwelling. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. 
there is no season of life there is no body in this church there is no season of life where you will be free from affliction and suffering if you believe in the gospel of a suffering messiah who died to bring life and calls us to carry our cross and follow him you will not be surprised by suffering but it you will depend on god who raises the dead let's pray Our hearts, O oh Lord, are constantly bombarded by the here and now, by temporary and fleeting pleasures. We seek not, O oh Lord, things which are above, but our minds are preoccupied with things here below. We seek, we live as if our lives are permanently established and rooted here. we fail to see that you have conquered death for a purpose help us o lord to live as godly men and women in this world help us o lord as we undergo various kinds of trials and suffering painful doubtful doubt inducing oh lord you are not oblivious of all of this comfort us lord comfort us achieve the objective of the suffering even though we may waste away but let your name be glorified in our afflictions in jesus name we pray amen